Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the second Saturday of the month, which means it's time for the Arthritis Recovery Hour with Clint Pattison. Please welcome him back to the show. How are you all the way in Australia, my friend? I'm doing great. We've got an overcast day, but there's enough light coming through the window here for me to be able to uh, speak to you without having to put some artificial light on. So I'm happy, going well, although, uh, you know, one of our little ones didn't sleep too good last night. So uh, oh, I don't know. understand how it can be winter in one part of the world. And so, I mean, I, I just it, my mind is blown that we have different seasons that you, you that when it's day here, it's night by you. I don't get it. I never understood that. Well, and I don't think that any mammal is meant to understand it because it's only through this artificial technology based on undersea optical fiber cables that enables us to have a conversation at the same time on the different side of a, of a planet. So we shouldn't even really need to try and understand it because it's so artificial that our brains have never actually contemplated this before. So it just blows my mind. Is it all is, I can it tell is. You. It's crazy. That's the industry I used to work in. You didn't know this, but my my engineering, my technology background was helping to manufacture uh, part of parts that went into the undersea networks of the fiber optic cables that lay on the bottom of the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, etc. oceans. Yeah. So we are communicating via light at the moment, pulses of light. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. That's and it's cool. here for in perpetuity, perhaps. Oh, it's not going anywhere. That's right. That's right. So it's a pleasure. And this will be our last session because uh, we did our, our, I've done, this is our sixth session together. So I'm excited to go out with a bang. Um, and uh, we're going to talk today about mindset and strategy and what we can do if we've got chronic disease, not just something like rheumatoid, but any, if people are suffering from some kind of health condition, I believe that these tools that I've used over the last uh, 17 years with my health can help others. So that's what we're going to talk about. I can't wait. Are you, get into any Are you sharing any slides today? Yeah. Let oh, me good. bring them up right now. Uh, let's see. Here we go. I will get this started. And we're up and running here. So, yeah. So here we go. Uh, mindset and mental success strategies for chronic disease. That's the cool name for this presentation. And uh, this, as I said, will be useful for anyone going through any kind of um, health condition that is ongoing, debilitating, challenging, frustrating. Can't believe how bad it is. Uh, when I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis uh, in the same week, I actually touch rugby and I went to the emergency room and then uh, tried to get surgery done on that ACL. And, and the uh, surgeon who looked at my knee uh, told me of all the diseases that he would not want to get rheumatoid arthritis is at the top of his list. And so, you know, talk about motivation. That's what you want to hear when you're in misery. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's just a reality check of, of the scale of the problem that we're dealing with. So whether or not it's rheumatoid, something else, in this presentation, we're going to go through mindset and strategy, very practical, implementable uh, takeaways that you can begin using immediately that I found very effective. And of course, the usual disclaimer, it's not medical advice. Most of this is mindset anyway, but don't make any changes about your lifestyle without chatting with your good old doctor. 
Now, here on the Chef AJ uh, series, um, we've talked twice, oh, I presented twice on the gut solution, which included all around medications and which ones to be cautious of because of counterproductive impact on digestive health. Uh, and we've talked all about diet in detail. And we talked about the body and oxidative stress and how to work out and improve the joints if you have inflammatory arthritis and osteoarthritis. We talked about cellular health and how we can optimize our cell membranes so that we can have a very uh, healthy building blocks. And today we're going to talk about mindset and strategies around dealing with chronic health. And it's not going to be things like you should meditate or go for a walk in the park and things like that. Whilst both those things are healthy, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, implementable practical tools, um, much more like if it was a, a project. All right. So uh, let's begin. So first of all, um, sort of setting the scene here in terms of the scale of necessity of this presentation, uh, when you have a chronic disease, you can go into some very, very dark places mentally and you can find yourself sort of uh, feeling like there's no options or there's no way out. You feel trapped. So <clears throat> what we're going to talk about is strategies and game plan and mental tools and things like that. Now, when I was, well, there were many times when I was struggling and going through various uh, depressive states, um, here I am in an elbow surgical uh, continuous passive motion recovery machine uh, for my left elbow, which I had to have a synovectomy on just three or four years after diagnosis. So in addition to that, I was struggling to walk. Melissa had to help me to the bathroom many nights uh, to be able to get to the bathroom to use it. And also, uh, most notably, um, she used to sometimes hang my arms up outstretched like Jesus on the cross and tie them to the bedposts at night and when I would sleep alone because we were so terrified of me rolling onto my elbows before surgery, not just after surgery, uh, because of the pain in both elbows. I couldn't pull the earplugs out of my ears in the mornings without some help because I just didn't have the range of motion through my elbows and the finger strength to be able to pinch down and pull those earplugs out. So when you're going through that, it's pretty bad. Now, I used to try and release some of the mental anguish and stress and, 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 uh, and worry and fear by screaming in my car. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment surrounded by you know others, and it was not really appropriate to just go screaming all the time. But I found that screaming helped me, and uh, I used to get in my car and sometimes uh, pull over uh, or just continue to drive and scream at the top of my lungs, and I would just try and release some of this absolute exasperation of pain and anger, frustration, and eternal misery. And I, I know I'm using a lot of negative words here, but this disease never, ever disappoints with its, um, sorry, continues to disappoint with just how rotten it can be. So I actually said to my wife at one point that it would be better if I was hit by a bus because, you know, life is just that bad. I was taking maximum dose methotrexate and still. Uh, you know, still struggling. So what can we do about this? There's the problem. And it's a big one. If you're anywhere remotely as miserable as I was, this is going to be helpful for you. 
It begins with creating a compelling future. The future, the future is something that is so uncertain uh, and something that might appear even terrifying with a progressive and debilitating disease. But if we can picture a compelling future, we set ourselves up with a chance of getting through and out the other side to a much happier place. So here's a book on the screen at the moment called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was in the concentration camp Auschwitz in, uh, in World War II. And in the concentration camp, he and his fellow prisoners survived, well, some of them survived, the uh, some of the most incredibly inhumane and horrific experiences that you could ever be, be, be you know, uh, exposed to. And he's a medical doctor. And what he observed was that those who continued to last and survive and eventually get out of the concentration camp successfully uh, when they were released uh, were those who created a compelling future. And specifically, this meant that they would be talking about their friends and family that they wanted to see when they got out, the places they wanted to revisit and see that they loved to spend time in when they got out, the air they wanted to breathe, and the things they wanted to do. And by continually talking about those, it seemed to extend the chances and possibility of those people to live. And so I applied this after reading this book into my journey with rheumatoid arthritis. And so I created a compelling future for myself. And I would encourage you to maybe want to jot something down in the chat below of what would be something that would be compelling for you to think about as you're going through your own health journey. And so I wrote down, I wanted to have maximum health. And I figured that if I was as healthy as possible, then I, my symptoms would be as low as possible. And so for me, um, this may, I hoped, be able to also minimize my medication intake because I needed or I wanted to get off methotrexate and more, more on that in just a second. So I wanted complete confidence and control over my condition. And although at the time I didn't articulate it as well as what it's written there, which I think encapsulates how I think about it now, I just wanted to feel like I wasn't like a, a cork on the top of the ocean, just bubbling around everywhere, going from surgeries and talking about drugs and rheumatologists. And it was just from one thing to the next. And there was no control at all. And now recently, and I've just updated this, in the last six to 12 months, I've, I've targeted a compelling future that involves resilience. And the reason I want resilience now is after 17 years of this disease, I now want to be able to feel like I can um, you know, add this to the list where my diet doesn't need to be as restrictive. I can eat at restaurants, uh, go out a little more. Uh, maybe I can go not go to the gym for four or five days in a row without having any consequences or feeling like any kind of... Um, I don't know, uh, um, setback or something. And so resilience is now. So these, this screen encapsulates the sort of thing that is compelling for me. Now, to be more specific around this, um, I've put this put uh, this into the phrase of making it a must. So if we have a, let me let me back up here. There, are, I'm going to go through eight 
pieces of a pie chart here, all involving mindset and strategy that encapsulate all the things that I did and I think will be very helpful. The first one, though, is uh, make it a must, which which embodies this position of um, creating a compelling future. And so within those within sort of complete confidence and control and resilience and uh, and so on, we I wanted to, at the time, write a list for myself of why I must get well, like the why behind this. What's my reasons behind this? What's my compelling future? What are the reasons? And so specifically, I wrote a list. And this list now looks nice on this screen, but it was originally just scribbled on the back of a a. a uh, a piece of paper. And you can see on the screen here, I wanted to become pain-free, drug-free, full of massive energy, to feel strong, happy, powerful, to love my body, to prove to myself that I'm amazing, can achieve anything, to avoid costly, invasive, and painful surgery, and on and on. And when I stacked this list like that, and I put it on the fridge, and my wife and I looked at that all the time, and this is what is driving us to do green juices. This is what's driving me to go to Bikram yoga again and again and again. And this is why we're making every effort across the board to try and get well. Because when we're consumed by the pain and so on, it's easy to sort of lose sight of a a compelling future. And inside our uh, materials for all members, they kick off this health journey with us, with why I must get well. And they write this down as well, because this drives us into uh, or pulls us forward into the right direction. Um, now, one of the biggest things for me of why I must get well was to have children. And uh, the current medication that I was on, methotrexate, which I mentioned a moment ago, does not allow you well it's 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 extremely unsafe to fall pregnant um if either of the parents have uh, are on that medication it's very toxic it's low dose chemotherapy and so my wife was very eager to have children and i also wanted to have children and um i was on methotrexate until i was 38 years old so already you know approaching 40 and really wanting to start a family and so when we um putting this list together, we really wanted to get off that medication. And I remember in a moment of sort of enlightenment, if you like, that she was sitting with me in the rheumatology office and my rheumatologist in front of me saying, you're on the maximum dose methotrexate. We're going to have to, you know, go to the medicine cabinet, he said, and add some more medications here. And because of the way that biologic drugs are covered in Australia through uh, healthcare, um, they are, through the research, more effective when methotrexate is kept within the treatment plan as opposed to removed and substituted by the biologic drug. So I was going to have to remain on methotrexate anyway, even with increases of medication. And as a result of that, there was no vision in sight for us to how we could start a family. And so this drove us like a rocket up the backside to get out uh, ourselves, uh, uh, you know, as motivated as we possibly could to get the outcomes that we want. So that compelling future for us was especially around having children. Um, and so 
we did this, printed this, and got this on the fridge. And uh, and as I said, this is a uh, powerful first step. Make it a must. Create your why list and create that compelling future. Okay, so that is number one. That is make it a must. Next, in our little pie chart, as it starts to unfold here, we want to create a um, a mindset where this is a project, not a problem. And this takes a little bit of massaging this concept home because it's such a problem, right? Let's face it. It's a miserable problem. But let's say we really don't like our job and we're going there every day and our job is project management. Or our job is to have some degree of, of like problem solving and so on. We cannot just emotionally go in every day to our work and say, oh, this sucks. I really don't like this. I don't, I don't want to be here today at this rock. But we have to have some degree of professionalism, some degree of holding ourselves together and hardening up and showing up each day because, you know, our livelihood, we're getting paid, we're kind of obliged to do so. So in the same way, we kind of have to harden up and think to ourselves, all right, I have this condition. It sucks, but it's kind of my job. I'm the CEO of my own health mission here. And how can I treat this as a project, not a problem? Now, the first thing we want to do about that is to create some goals around this, just as we would as if it were a job. And so I've always been pretty good at this particular aspect. I will tell you a couple of short stories here, which uh, I think will... Uh, highlight how useful this has been in my life outside of rheumatoid arthritis to achieve some pretty remarkable things. So I went to university at Macquarie University in Sydney, and I studied what's called optoelectronics, which is essentially laser physics. Now, I was not very good in the first year of university, and I was not a naturally awesome student. The people who did my university course, many were very smart. And so I found myself in the middle or lower part of the pack in the first year. Then I worked harder and harder and harder and eventually decided at the end of the undergraduate year that I would do honours. Now, I wrote the ambitious goal for myself that I would get the university medal by at the end of my honours year. Now, hilariously, there was no university medal, right? They wasn't the classification for that. Okay. I didn't know that. I just wrote down university medal. Well, at the end of that year, and let me say just sheerly, just endless work, like no social life. All I did was just work my butt off. At the end of the 12 months, I got first class honors and I received a bunch of accolades. And I was also given what, what was called the University Science Prize, which was as closest thing as what was available to university medal because it covered maths, physics, computer, electronic departments. And anyway, so the kid who wasn't that great uh, and mediocre uh, ended up getting that outcome. And I think that, you know, for me, that was a huge indicator of, wow, if I put my mind to it and write it down and make it specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based, and in that case, it wasn't realistic was even a stretch, it actually happened. Another example, coming out of university, I got a job at a high-tech startup company and I was on a roll with my goals thinking, wow, this works. And so what I did is I wrote down that I want to have a sports car 
and I want to have a million dollars. And I put some time frames around that. Might have been a year or two. Now, I know that they are not very humble goals, but this is what I wrote down at 23. All right. So it is what it is. Anyway, so a million dollars at 23, come on, right? The high-tech startup company that I chose to join after making these goals was then purchased by another company. And then that company got purchased again. And then that company got purchased again. And before we knew it, within a couple of years, I had over 1 million US dollars in shares. But all I had to do is press click on my computer and I could access those shares. Here's what's really interesting and, and good illustration about this point. I was not specific enough around my goal. I said I wanted to have a million dollars. That was what was written down on my goals list. And what I should have wrote is I wanted to have a million dollars in cash because I didn't and I didn't click the button and that million dollars in US shares dropped precipitously in the year 2000 NASDAQ collapse and my million dollars went to $50,000 in about, I want to say like six weeks or something. No one in my company was selling their shares. We all got sort of, we all just like were, were doe-eyed in the headlights. And before we knew it, we had lost most of that uh, money that we would have because of the company being bought and bought and bought. And so I sold my $50,000 and guess what? I bought my sports car. So I ended up getting one of the two goals and I didn't get the big one because it wasn't specific enough. So don't make the same mistake I made. Now, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis, we can apply this with specific things that are relevant to our health or whatever this might be with your health condition. So for example, we might say, I want to be off prednisone by an arbitrary date without a pain bump. And if we can write that down, which is crucial, get it written down on paper and act out strategies towards that using all the things that we teach inside rheumatoid solutions and so on. But now you have your goal and that's what you're working towards. And it feels like these goals and these compelling futures and things, it almost pulls us towards as opposed to feeling like we're fighting to achieve. And so um, this is this is the approach here with um, making it a project, not a problem. So do that for all of the really important aspects of your health condition. So the next thing we want to do is we are going to now talk about beliefs. Now, this is, I think, possibly the most important aspect of this presentation. So I was on a coaching call with someone in our community and there just seemed something amiss and I wasn't sure where to go with this lady like should I suggest this should I suggest that and so I asked a question that I don't normally ask and I asked the question is there anything like a deep deep secret or or hidden belief that you have around this disease and after she mentioned a few more surface related stuff, and I said, is there anything like more dark or more like worrisome? And she said, well, I don't think that I'll ever be able to get well. And when she said that, it was like, oh, right. That's what's going on here. 
she doesn't think she's ever able to be able to get well. And so this opened up a new kind of space in my mind that, you know, I need to talk about this more and this needs to be more uh, part of sort of the system of how we go about helping people. Because, you know, if you've got that belief system, then that's going to influence everything that you do around, you know, your health and, and the outcomes that you're going to achieve. For example, in other areas of our life, we're all familiar with the, with the different belief systems that people have around money. And in a church environment that I used to attend, um, I used to, you know, sometimes it would come up and people would discuss mummy, mummy. Sometimes people would discuss money. And there's a phrase in the Bible, which goes along the lines of something like it's easier. Sorry. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than what it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now in a strong you know, uh, church community, a lot of people, if they take that literally, will have a fear around money and a belief that money is bad. And I've seen this and, and know people who thought along these lines. And therefore, do you think that's going to impact that person's ability to get wealthy, even if they wanted to? Of course, right? What about in sport? If we look in sport and we think about the four-minute mile, where the belief was that it was impossible to run a four-minute mile. And yet, shortly after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, other people started to also run sub-four minutes. And then now thousands of people have run sub-four-minute miles. So there was a global human belief that collectively thought that was impossible. And then once it's broken, suddenly now that is possible and we, uh, you know, we have stopped putting the shackles on ourselves. In the medical field, rheumato rheumatologists will often say diet doesn't matter. They'll say you'll be on medications for the rest of your life um, and so on. And I'm not making, a, 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 well, medications for the rest of life. Who knows, right? But what we know from the science is that diet plays an enormous role in this disease. And so sometimes we can be hearing things from the medical community which affect our beliefs. And this is like an overall blanket onto all of our actions and decisions, comments, attitudes, all coming back to these beliefs that might be just one or two things that we've picked up that are not serving us when we actually want to try and improve our life. Now, my beliefs were limiting me on a micro scale with regards to wanting to change my lifestyle for the better, I did not want to shift away from eating meat. I grew up on a farm and I, you know, my dad used to, you know, be proud of the fact that he was able to use the livestock that we had on our farm to be able to provide for our family so that we didn't have to spend as much on food bills. And we were often eating meat three times a day. And my father and mother saw no reason not to do that. And as I said, I even were proud of that. And so I grew up with that mentality and also the belief that my parents had instilled upon me that you needed meat, that meat was crucial for strength and associated with masculinity. And I've always been a thin person ever since I was a child, right? So I've never been able to 
have a big muscular body. I've always had a slim frame. And so I, my belief system was that I'm going to get even skinnier and it's going to be harder for me to appear attractive and ultimately, you know, attract or, or, or maintain a loved one if I don't have meat in my life. So there's some strong associations there. That belief system delayed my adaptation of a plant-based diet for probably an extra year or year and a half longer than what I potentially would have if I was more neutral. And as a result, I probably suffered a little bit more intensity in my symptoms and it slowed down my ultimate you know, uh, final path to slow improvements uh, longer than it should have. And so that belief system held me back. So all these beliefs are going on all the time in our, or, or, or have been established and then can play out all the time. And are they supporting us or, or are they not? And here, here is something that I encourage you to do. This is, as I said, probably the most important part of this presentation. I want you to take a quiet moment to write down all of the negative, limiting, unhelpful beliefs that you have around the health condition you have. Is it something like, I'm going to be in pain forever? Or my grandmother had this disease. She ended up in a wheelchair. One day I will too. Or is it something like, I'll never be able to run again? Now, let's look at the sort of Let's look at some arbitrary examples and say and 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 neutralize them. How do we neutralize these oh, these destructive, unhelpful beliefs that are holding us back from a better life at a sometimes at a subconscious or at a deep level? The way we neutralize them is to bring them out, write them down, and then the next thing is that is the important step. We want to say, what is the truth? And we apply the truth to disengage or disempower these negative beliefs in the same way that, that a bomb squad would go and uh, disarm a potential explosion, a, 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 um, a bomb, right? So let's say we think, uh, I'll never be able to run again. Let's take an example that a lot of people say, well, that's probably true, right? Okay, the extreme example here, you know, the Blade Runner in South Africa who, you know, got into a lot of trouble for, uh, went to went to court and everything. You can look him up. Basically, he was able to run on artificial legs and compete against other athletes despite that level of inability. Now, I'm creating a, a, an example here of quite a, uh, unusual or extreme case to point out that if you've got a, you know even severe knee problems and you think I'll never run again, the truth is that under the extreme, unlikely and weird example, one day those bottom parts of your legs could be removed, you could have on artificial legs and you literally could run again. So nothing is literally uh, as it appears. Now what about I'll, I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. Okay. The truth is if you were to take 30 milligram of steroids tomorrow, you'd have no pain. So are you in pain for the rest of your life? No. Is that something you want to do for the rest of your life? No, but let's just get out of this hard and, and uh, 
um, basically fixed viewpoints that are not the truth. The truth is you will be in pain for the rest of your life if you don't appropriately address this disease from a 360 degree approach of correct medications, lifestyle, um, and strategies like we're talking about right now, mindset, stress reduction, and so on. So there is always the truth to offset and 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 disempower the negative beliefs. And this needs to be done. So I really encourage all of you to extract from deep, deep down those negative beliefs that you have, write them down, then apply the truth to that, even if it seems a little bit absurd, like the examples that I provided, and say, you know what, well, that's a fair point, unlikely, but fair. And what would I have to do to have a better set of beliefs? Okay, so until we eliminate some of these or neutralize some of these beliefs, no matter how many, how many times you go to the gym, no matter how many blueberries you eat, no matter how good your cell membranes are and how many squats you can do, how good your sleep is, how much water you drink, you aren't going to get the euphoric outcomes of complete confidence and control, resilience and happiness and pull the strings like your own puppeteer with this condition if you've got one single residing pathogenic thought in your mind about this condition. All right? So that's an important one. I like this little quote here. For those around you, if you know, if you're on like some sort of, you know, Facebook group or something, some free online Facebook group where a bunch of people who are in pain get together and complain, if you're the shining light and you're doing great things, keep this in mind. The man who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. Nice little Chinese proverb. And uh, keep that in mind that uh, uh, don't, don't absorb other people's um, negative beliefs, okay? Okay, now moving on. And these next ones are a little quicker. This is not a long presentation. So we're going to move on to take massive action. So this I got from Anthony Robbins. I found it really effective. If there's a problem, take massive action. My dad also says, if you feel fear, act. Action is where we move the energy from despair, from worry, from forlorn, lack of hope. Action is, is what takes us then to productivity, results, happiness, and celebrating little victories. So when your house is on fire, don't watch it burn. If you've got swollen, inflamed, sore, stiff joints, you don't just wonder, will that go away? Or maybe I should schedule another rheumatology appointment in two months. We get onto this stuff. We want to use, could you intervene with uh, go and get some exercise immediately? Or could you intervene with um, maybe make your evening meal smaller and make it earlier in the day, which has a lot of uh, benefits in doing that? Do you want to do a green juice right away? Do you want to get outside in the sunshine? Do you want to call a friend and talk to that person? Do something right away. Take massive action. Okay, so you ask, what can I do right now to relieve pain? And we've got a little take massive action five-step checklist here. It's very, very simple. So let's say you're faced with something unpleasant. Your finger hurts, for example. Okay, come back to your emotional 
compelling future. What is that? Okay, that's right. There's my list on the fridge. I really got to, I want to do this because I want to be there for my kids. I want to be able to do that hike. I want to be able to hold the kettle and pour myself a, a, a green tea, whatever it might be. Um, or bigger, you know, big things. But you want to, I've, I've got a reason behind this that's really important. I'm now going to take action, whatever that might be, something I just mentioned. And then after taking action, reward yourself. Have a green smoothie. Do something you enjoy. I don't know. Put your feet up for a moment. Pat yourself on the back, whatever it might be. Okay. Then repeat. Ask, what else can I do right now to enable myself to reduce pain? And then as we do that, we will see results. And the results we then want to celebrate wildly. We want to feel so good around that that it 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 really, really uh floods ourselves with endorphins, dopamine, and these feel-good emotions as the body says, I want more of that. And so we seek that and we attract that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So that's what we want to do. You've got a problem. Okay, why am I going to put the energy into trying to resolve this? That's right. I've got a compelling future. I'm going to do something right now. Well done, Clint. Pat yourself on the back. Give yourself a little bit of, of uh, reward. Now, what else can I do? Boom, do something else reward yourself. Oh my gosh, I've got some outcome here that I wanted. Celebrate wildly. Okay. Next, I want you, this is a little bit of philosophical, but I want to talk about the interpretation of having rheumatoid arthritis and things that happen to us in this journey, because our interpretation of the disease itself and also of the events that happen to us with time is really the way that our body responds way um, we, we 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 then interpret this result uh, sorry this this uh, situation um so those words were muddled but let me give an example here so they did a study where two groups of people went onto a roller coaster one group of people uh, found that it was scary, terrifying, and they released cortisol, which in too high an amount too frequently is bad for your health. And then another group of people uh, experienced the roller coaster as being euphoric. They found it amazing, wanted to go again. Those participants on the roller coaster released endorphins, which are healthy and uh, good for us, stress reducing, and so on. So the exact same roller coaster and one group of people had experiences that they interpreted of the event that led to potentially worse health outcomes and the other positive health outcomes. So the interpretation of the experience is the experience. All right. So um, we want to be careful with how we interpret things. Here's a little story that I like and I have shared on uh, around this, this topic. So you may have heard it. There was a farmer. And the farmer, what he did each day was uh, on his little crop of land uh, before uh, industrialization, used to go out and sow oats each day by hand in his little block of field next to his house. Each day he would plant the oats and it would grow. And his aim was to have a wonderful crop to be able to feed his family. One day, um, uh, it was nearly time for the uh, oats to be to be reaped. 
And uh, his neighbors came over and said, this is amazing. You know, you're so lucky. You've got all this great oats. Uh, you must be so pleased and proud. And he said, maybe. Now, they went to bed that night, the village, and in the morning they woke up and some wild horses had come in from the uh, from the wild and uh, found his crop to be the most amazing, broken down his little fence and eaten a lot of the oats and destroyed what was left because they trampled it. The wild horses then uh, left the village and his neighbors came over and said, this is a disaster. You, I can't believe how bad this is. This must be awful. You must be devastated. And he said, maybe. Now, he went out looking for the horses that afternoon and he found the group of horses sleeping underneath some trees. He had a lasso. He was able to quietly sneak up on the horses, lasso one of the horses, bring the horse back to the village. And then he was able to slowly break in the horse and train it so that he was able to then use that horse to create a pulling power. And he then used a little sewing device, like a little plow at the back, and then he was able to sow much quicker than his neighbors and get his crop back. And his neighbor said, that's amazing. You're so lucky. You must be so happy. And he said, maybe. Okay. So then uh, one day he uh, his son was out riding this horse and he uh, was uh, startled by a snake on the ground. The horse reared up in the air his son fell down onto the ground and broke his leg. They managed to get his get the son back to the village. All the neighbors came, oh, you poor thing, your son's broken your leg, you must feel awful. And he, of course, said, maybe. And then finally, it was time for uh, the village to unite and all the young men under the age of 18 had to be uh, sent off to fight a battle. The, uh, the nation was under threat. And the young fellas had to go off to fight. And the uh, boy who had broken his leg from the horse fall was not able to go because of his broken leg. So he did not go off to war. The other sons were killed and his son survived. The parents, of course, said to him, you're so lucky your son survived. It's a miracle for you. You are so happy. And he said, of course, maybe. So the point of this is we always make assumptions and interpret things that have happened throughout our life. And is it good? Is it bad? We don't know. It just is. And so these events throughout life, we want to be careful how to interpret them. And in a big picture, what is rheumatoid arthritis to you? Is it the worst thing that's ever happened in life? That would be an interpretation that's unsupportive. Is there another interpretation that you could make that is more supportive? And I'm not saying that it isn't an absolutely horrible thing, but could we interpret it a little bit more positively to add some balance? Like, could we say that by interpreting it as a way of, of, of demonstrating um, a positive attitude towards this disease and minimizing some of the symptoms and living a healthy life that we can inspire others? So open up your mind to how you might refer to yourself and how this disease, how you interpret this disease as big picture, because having it only as a negative won't support you in your overall mission for maximum health. I think it's important for us to say, I'm not a victim, 
this is a cause and effect. I can address the cause. The cause of this disease is still being debated in the science, but we know there is a, a there is a trigger, microbial infection, viral infection related. We know bacteria at play, dysbiosis, oxidative stress. So there's a cause here. We're not a victim. Something we've done, the Western lifestyle, antibiotic use, cesarean birth, whatever it is, something has triggered it. We can do some things about it. Okay, I've got just a few minutes left here. And we're going to talk about gratitude. Gratitude has gravity. So when we are grateful for something, we pull it towards us. My little fella, my little boy, uh, he and the elderly neighbor have a great relationship. She gives him a little vegan chocolate. He loves it. He jumps up and down. He says, you're the best. You're the best. And he's so grateful to her. They now have this thing where she can't wait to give him more because He's so grateful he attracts that from her. And the same thing happens if we're grateful for things in our life. We pull them towards us. People, our friends, family know that we like that. We get that more for Christmas, whatever. In the same way that if we put out such such gratitude for things that we uh, want, that we have successfully achieved, we are going to uh, bring that more into our life. Okay, so give thanks for whatever it is that you want that you have achieved. Wildly celebrate small victories. If it's being able to get up the stairs without having to hold the handrail, that is the best thing ever. That's what you talk about at dinner. That's what you mention to your family when you make phone calls, how they doing. Okay, so that's how we want to approach this and we'll attract more of that into our life. And then our, our penultimate um, bullet point here is affirmations. So I've found that you cannot control the monkey mind. So if the mind wants to continually repeat things over and over again, rather than try and prevent that, which I think is very difficult, why not just try and substitute some of the language? So if the word's going around, oh, it's another miserable day. Oh, I'm hurting again. My foot's worse than yesterday. I can't stand this drug, whatever it might be. Let's try and wedge in some other phrases to give them some airtime as well that are more supportive. I've got complete confidence and control over my condition. I'm getting fitter and stronger and more powerful and so on. And so whilst this this is like a maintenance strategy, but I think it's important. And if especially our minds are very active with negativity, Write down as many as you can that feel good for you and try and substitute and catch yourself when you say them and get some of the good ones in instead. And then finally, we have impact. And, you know, when, uh, what if you're not the only beneficiary of you improving and demonstrating some increased control over your health and your symptoms? When I first made the discovery that the scientific evidence showed that when you don't eat, everyone with rheumatoid arthritis improves on a water fast, okay? So that's when I made the connection. It's not just me, but it's the entire rheumatoid arthritis community. And I thought to myself, wow, if I can make some discoveries here and I can share them, I'll be helping other people because it turns out all of us have a, have a gut connection to this disease. And so that massively motivated me. But what if you're able to inspire a family member who has high blood pressure to eat more plants and in doing so, they reduce their blood pressure meds 
and feel better. I mean, that's changed their life. And that's just a fairly easy example. What if there was a, you know, someone in your community who also has inflammatory arthritis and you started doing this, you showed how good you were going and you got them to make some positive changes through your, 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 you know, example. And they got out of absolute misery mindset and, 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 and got their life back on track. And the, of course the ripple effect and so on. So Think of it beyond yourself. Some of us will do more for others than we will for ourselves. And so if that's you, then think, well, who else would benefit from me doing better? And make it about them. <laughs> you be the vehicle and you'll benefit, but focus on them if that's a powerful driver for you. And so that brings us to the end of this presentation. We have a complete system. We've made rheumatoid arthritis reversal a science over at rheumatoidsolutions.com where you'll get dietary and exercise guidelines and over a thousand video solutions to common rheumatoid arthritis problems. And join us on live calls with rheumatologists, medical doctors, lifestyle physicians, uh, and of course, myself and others. Um, and uh, we can all help you collectively. So thank you very much. I appreciate Chef AJ for having me on once again. And for, for folks who've, uh, who've uh, watched this presentation, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Clint. You know, I'm so happy you mentioned the book, Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. It's one of my favorite, favorite books of all time. Well, isn't it amazing? Yeah. I, I always said if I could interview anyone living or dead, it would be him. Is that right? Yeah, I just, I've, that book inspired me. So, you know, because whenever things are bad, I always think about his situation and how he made meaning out of his suffering. And, you know, I always say, could be worse. You know? I know, I know it could be worse. It could be worse. And then for the simple takeaway of when it's as bad as that, picture the outcome you want or picture something beautiful, picture something that you would, you know, that 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 pulls you towards a better future. And we yeah. can all do that. And life, life is hard for so many people. And I'm so sorry about that. But no matter how hard it is, there's always somebody that it's harder for. So you got to be grateful. I think that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Clint. Thanks once again. Well, thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when my guest is Dr. Peter Rogers. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.